Good to see you all this afternoon on this lovely day on Pentecost Sunday. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's Pentecost Sunday. Who knows what the Holy Spirit's going to do today. Amen. Amen. Well, as we're just uh, preparing to, to go into the Word, just go to Luke 11 with me. We're looking at this topic, following the will of God. And we're looking at, uh, of course, in the context of, of the series of prayer that we're on at the moment. And so first of all, I want us to, to direct our attention to Luke 11, to the Lord's Prayer. You know, Jesus, second to preaching about the kingdom of God, taught more about prayer than anything else in the Gospels. What does that mean? It means that prayer is a big deal, amen? Prayer is important to Jesus and it needs to be important to us. In fact, almost every chapter in the book of Luke shows Jesus praying. And the, the Gospel of Luke talks about prayer more than any other Gospel. And the Gospel of Luke very much emphasizes Jesus as a man. He was a man. But primarily, he was a man of prayer. The Lord's Prayer is the most well-known and, and used prayer in the world. People use it all over the place. We often sing it as well. People like St. Augustine and, and Martin Luther. Anybody heard of those people before? Just a few. few people, they said that there's nothing more wonderful than the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing more wonderful than the Lord's Prayer because here, Jesus is giving us a framework for all praying. It's kind of like a skeleton prayer that we can add our own prayers to. And so the Lord's Prayer covers everything that we actually need in our lives. It covers different things to do with God's perfection at the beginning. It talks about God's power, His kingdom and His will coming. Uh, it talks about His provision and His protection. So come with me to Luke 11. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer just briefly here. Luke 11, verse 2. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we are also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A prayer that, of course, many of us have prayed before and heard before in services. But the, the prayer focuses on four main aspects. That's God's perfection, His power, His provision, and His protection. Now, it's important for us to see that Jesus not only taught us to pray, Your will be done, but He prayed it Himself. Amen? He prayed it Himself. This is how He prayed. And so that must really encourage us to be those who actually pray this prayer ourselves. And I want us to just quickly look at something here in the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps it's something that you've not seen before, because there is actually a progression and order in which Jesus gave us this prayer. The first three, as you look in the Lord's Prayer there in front of you, they say, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice that the three petitions, the first three petitions contain the word your. Anybody notice that? Or other translations say thy. Depends what translation, what you have, maybe an older one. 
But they, in other words, have reference to God. The others have reference to ourselves. For example, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so the first three are concerned with with God's glory. They're concerned with His kingdom. They are concerned primarily with His will being done on earth. And so the Lord's model prayer, almost half the petitions are actually devoted to God. And Him having His way. And only the remainder of the prayers actually deal with our particular needs and, and problems. And so this, in a nutshell, should really already teach us something about the importance of prayer. Amen? That our prayers should be consumed with God's holiness, His glory, praying for His kingdom to come, and His will being done not just in our lives, but here on the earth. And when we do that, we find that He takes care of every one of our needs. And so we're looking at this huge subject, really, the, the following the will of God, which is a vast subject. And you don't really have to look any further than going to the Bible. It's full of seeing the will of God and the commands of God and the laws and the statutes of God. But today I want us to talk specifically, look at walking in the will of God and the responsibility that we have as sons and daughters to obey the will of God. Listen to this um, story, true story that happened some, some years back now. Paul Sirks owned a vintage single-engine plane, a 1946 Aeronca Champ. He had landed the plane at Grimesfield Airport in Urbana, Ohio, because of mechanical problems. The plane's engine had stalled on the runway, and Paul got out to restart it by hand-turning the propeller. That is when the fun began. Once the engine started, he could only watch helplessly as the plane on its own taxied away from him and took off by itself. The plane was also trimmed for landing, which means the nose was trimmed up, so it just started climbing. For two hours, that plane flew itself. It climbed to about 2,000 feet, circled the area for about five minutes, and then finally headed northeast. Another pilot and the State Highway Patrol tracked the plane, which reached about 12,000 feet near the end of its flight. It finally crashed 90 miles away from where it took off and was totally destroyed. Isn't that a powerful story? True story that took place in 1946. But the obvious truth of that story is that without a pilot, a plane will inevitably crash. And there's a far greater truth, of course, for every one of us here today, because our lives are like that plane. And without God piloting our life and us flying according to His will, the plane of our life will also eventually crash. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. You can jot this down if you like or go to the verse. Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5, 17. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What does that mean? It means this, that the wisest thing you and I will ever do is to find out what the will of God is and do it and run with it. Amen? That's the wisest thing that we'll ever do. It's also one of the, the, the five uh, greatest lessons that parents can ever teach their children. 
Now today we could say that there are many general things that the Lord wills. It's full, the Old Testament, the New Testament are full of different things that, uh, regarding the will of God. And for example, God's will is sanctification. God wants to clean us up, amen? Sanctification is God's will. Wise living is God's will. Not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind is God's will. Uh, continual rejoicing, the Bible talks about in the New Testament. Ceaseless prayer. Uh, a constant thanksgiving is God's will for us. Security is God's will. How many like security? Those are, those are part of God's will for our life. Servanthood. God wants us to be servants in our generation. Also, God wants us to be right stewards of the things that He has given us, like our finances and our possessions. He wants us to treat one another properly. He wants us to love one another. The Bible also says that it's the will of God that we would bear much fruit. How many want to bear much fruit? John 15 says, And this is to my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit. Other things to do with God's will. It's God's will as found in 1 Timothy 2. That all people be saved. That everyone will come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. And another key step in knowing the will of God is that we will be those who are spirit-filled. To be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. In Ephesians 5.17, we read this. Therefore, do not be foolish. Is another translation. But it says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So to not be willing to understand the will of the Lord is to be regarded as foolish. Now, what is His will? We continue to read in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many want to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so if you want to know the will of God in prayer, you need to be Spirit-filled. Not just today, but you need to go on being Spirit-filled. And that's why today is so significant on this day of Pentecost. Because, you know, Pentecost is not just about us getting together and remembering what God used to do. It's about what God wants to do today. Amen? God can bring a Pentecost for you in your own life today. And so we need to go on being Spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit has a will Himself. Jesus, when He came down to earth, He came, He died on the cross, He rose again, He ascended to the Father. The Holy Spirit came down and was placed in charge of the church. He's God's agent on, on the earth. We're living in the age of the Spirit. And so those who are believers, how many of you are believers today? You're a son and daughter of God. So those who are believers are subject to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Everybody with me? We are led by the Holy Spirit. Now, today I don't need to tell you that there can be a lot of confusion over God's will. People say, oh, how do we know what God's will is? Maybe you've battled with that yourself. Maybe you're here and you're even going through a present circumstance where you're, you're doubting the will of God in your life. Ask some people why we have all kinds of natural disasters and hurricanes and tornadoes and, well, probably not tornadoes here, but maybe in, in the States, earthquakes and all those kind of different things. And people will often say, well, this is all, all part of God's will. Some folks think that God wills this sports team or this individual sportsman to win in sports. And we met people like that. And uh, 
Sometimes I think to myself, why can't we just kind of leave God out of it and just let him watch a game for once? You know what I mean? After all, if he was going to support a team, it would probably be Man United. But anyway, that's... Uh, mm. Any agreeers out there? No? Any agreeers? No? Okay. <laughs> okay, quiet. But to, particularly today, we're looking how the Lord wants us to live out our lives being led by His specific will. How many want that in their life today? And that requires things from us. It requires our cooperation. It requires our obedience. It requires our response. And this is a vital key. If we can just get a hold of this today, this is a vital key to understanding how prayer works. Because not only are we to be those who pray the will of God being done, but we are to be those who follow the will of God. Amen? Sometimes it's very easy to actually pray the words, but it's very another thing when we actually are challenged to follow His will. And if you're a believer and you're a son or, or daughter of God in sonship, this involves trust. It involves love, care, and obedience. Because you see, where there is God's will, there has to be obedience to His will. I'm a, a, a father of two. Uh, Evan and Seth, one's five, one is three. And uh, I expect my sons to do what I say. They don't do all the time. <laughs> but I expect them to do what I say. Why? Not out of fear of what may happen to them if they don't, but out of a desire to please me, to please their parents. And you know, it's important to, re to realize this, that it's not a, uh, obedience is not a precondition of being loved by God. Rather, because we love God, we want to obey Him. Amen? And to understand the will of God deeper, we need to look at the relationship that Jesus had with the Father. Come with me to John 4, verse 32. John 4, verses 32 to 34. And this verse really kind of encapsulates Jesus Christ, uh, His obedience was literally kind of like the source of power for living. He says this, but He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then His disciples said to each other, could someone have brought Him food? They're all confused and my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. God is looking all over the earth. He's looking all over London and every capital in the world. He's looking all over his church for obedient sons and daughters. Amen. When God looks at this body today, he's looking for those who have a heart to obey him, to obey his will. In Jesus' ministry, which was full of prayer, we see that obedience was not just about some kind of set rules that he had to live by or some kind of set formula that he had every day. Because Jesus knew what he was about. Jesus knew that he was loved by the Father. He wasn't trying to go and seek his Father's approval. He knew his identity as a son, and that's really important. As a son, you need to know your identity in God. But Jesus always responded to what the Father was saying and doing in prayer. It wasn't the other way around. God is always more anxious to 
for us to know his will than we are to actually find it. It's not really necessarily our responsibility to be running here and everywhere to find out what the will of God is. Our job is just to obey the will of God. Amen. If God wants us to know his will, his will it's his responsibility to reveal it. It's our responsibility to obey it. And so looking a little bit deeper, looking at the life of Jesus and his particular will, he, he continually sought to discern what the Father was saying and doing. And to do that with him. He was partnering with the Father. Jesus had come to planet earth. He had left that place from uh, being in the place of glory with his Father. And he knew that the only way that he was going to actually accomplish the Father's will on earth is if he remained in vibrant fellowship with God. And as long as he had that, he had a voice to the people. Jesus didn't just open up a program every day and, you know, uh, read some kind of set principles that he had to live by. He lived from minute to minute to minute by discerning what particular form the will of God was for that place, wherever he was, or that person that he was about to meet. Luke 4. You don't have to go there, but it just tells us that there was a general will and mission for Jesus' life and mission. It says the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, to heal the oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so Jesus knew what he was called to do. There was no doubt about that. He knew that healing was part of God's will, but he still, of course, needed to understand God's particular will to know what to say and do with every sick person that he met. Amen? He needed to have that spirit guidance on what to do next. We need to hear God's voice for those particular things. Whatever place we go to, whatever place, if it's a work or college or university, whatever it is, we need to have that ear to hear the voice of God to tell us where to go and what to say. There are examples, uh, wonderful examples in the book of Acts. Uh, for example, in Acts 16 verses 6 to 10, where the Apostle Paul, and there were others, but the Apostle Paul was stopped by the Holy Spirit from going one place to preach and then told to go another way and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul knew that he was called as an apostle to go and preach to the Gentiles, but he needed to understand God's specific will to know where to go at that particular time and place. Amen? How many of you have had that done before in your life? Hmm? You've been planning away and you've had all kinds of things that you've been planning for maybe some time. And then all of a sudden, at the last minute, 11th hour, God comes and says, actually, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go this way. How many have had that before? Amen. And I've had that happen in my life some years ago now, five, six years ago. I, I, uh, my wife and I and, uh, and the boys, we were, we were planning to, to move to the States, to Kansas City. And uh, we'd li I lived there during my teenage years and... Um, and uh, we, we were planning, we basically sold half of the house, we sold half our stuff and put it in storage. We were all set to go, we did all of our visas and everything. The 11th hour, all of a sudden, the wisdom of God comes and we don't go through with it. Sometimes, God encourages you to close a door because He's got another door that He wants you to walk through. And that's a door of fresh opportunity that's got fresh life and it's something that's got, it's God's best for you. God turns up in that way sometimes. Through Jesus' ministry, we understand that the relationship with the Father was clear. 
The Father initiated, He spoke, He acted, and then Jesus responded. And it's this kind of obedience that God is after in this generation, amen? God is after obedient hearts that will serve Him. And this, of course, emphasizes the importance of us being able to have a listening ear. To actually hear what God is saying to us moment by moment of our lives. And it's the Holy Spirit, our helper, our counselor, who reveals the Father's will to us. And He can, of course, reveal Himself and reveal the way in so many different ways. Of course, you've experienced that in your life. You know the Holy Spirit comes and speaks directly to us sometimes. Sometimes He might speak through somebody else, through the gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes He might speak to you through dreams and visions. How many have had that before? God can speak in so many numerous different ways. And so this just highlights, you know, the lifestyle of cultivating intimacy with God, of dwelling with Him, living in His felt presence. Because you see, if you look and study Jesus in all of the Gospels, you see that His sensitivity to the Father's will was rooted in His deep relationship with the Father. And that's how it works for us today. Now, sons and, and daughters, the Father's will always has priority over our will. Jesus' relationship with the Father was characterized by complete trust, complete obedience to the Father. I mean, Jesus was sold out. He was passionate about fulfilling the Father's wishes on his life. He was completely sold out. John 4, 34 again. This is my food to do the will of him who sent me. What was his will? To preach good news. What was his will? To lay down his life as a ransom for many. And you see, if Jesus hadn't fulfilled the Father's will, then we wouldn't even be here right now. Jesus prayed even in his darkest hour, the most tough and stressful time in his life, the day before crucifixion. On the night, he said to the Father, he said, not what I want but what you want. He was in submission to the Father. You know, I don't know about you, but I know for myself in my life, half the, the battle sometimes, the biggest hindrance in our lives is when our own will can have priority over His will. Amen? And uh, perhaps maybe that is trying to hold on to something that God has told you to let go of. How many of you are horse lovers in this place? Have you already ridden a horse? Not too many? Okay. Well, a number of years ago, actually this is back in my days in, in the States when I was a teenager, we went to this ranch and um, we went to this, uh, the fields, a whole load of horses and I'm pretty convinced there were some wild horses there. <laughs> but anyway, I got on this horse and uh, I was told as soon as I get on it, it will just start walking. Anyway, I get on the horse and uh, kick the thing in the side. And um, well, you're supposed to do that, right? That's what you're supposed to kick the horse just to give it an indication. It's supposed to move. Horse, you're supposed to move. And anyway, so I um, started kicking this horse and started talking to this horse, and it just wasn't budging. And a few moments later, I, I kicked the horse again. All of a sudden, he sprinted <laughs> and started galloping across the field, and I was holding on for dear life. I mean, I really was. I was. I thought this is it. You know, and th this horse is going nuts. It's galloping all across the field. I'm holding on. I'm actually, you know, almost falling off. And, uh, of course, I was blessing the horse as much as I could. And uh, no cursing whatsoever. 
And, um, and anyway, we're, we're sprinting across, and I'm shouting, and I'm kicking, and I'm saying, please stop. Anyway, he gets to the end of the field, and suddenly he stops. And uh, I learned something about horses then, because you can have some horses that are tamed and some horses that are not. Obviously, I think I was uh, on a horse that was a little bit wild um, for that occasion. But I use the illustration of a horse because many years ago, horses uh, would be used for entering uh, for, for battle. They would be used for wars. And uh, see, the thing about horses is that you could have the most talented the most gifted and the biggest horse that can perform better than any other horse. It can jump higher than any horse. It's, it's faster than any other horse. But you see, if its will is not broken, it cannot be used or trusted to go into battle with its rider. Only those horses whose will has been broken can be trusted to go into battle. And the same principle spiritually applies for us. The same principle is true when it comes to training soldiers in the army. I have a number of friends who are in the Marines and in different regiments of the army and paras and all that. And much of the training that they go through is used to break them. It's used to get them to learn to take orders from the general, to yield to the authority of the general. And so what will happen is a general will watch these guys through go, go through you know, really grueling testing exercises. Why? To see who's fit and who's not. To see who's fit mentally, who's fit physically, who are those who can actually obey orders when the tough gets going. Because no general or army can afford to have any soldier breaking rank or doing their own thing because not only do they jeopardize their own life, but they jeopardize their own fellow soldiers. And so the general will watch to see who's fit and who's not and who's going to break off rank, who is likely to go and do their own thing and not obey the general's orders. Well, in the spiritual life and the Christian life, our general is God, amen? God is our boss. God is our leader, and of course, anyone that, of course, that he chooses to put an authority over us. And the more he sees our commitment to do his will, the more he's going to be willing to entrust us with other things. Amen. When we submit to the will of God, the kingdom comes. When we submit to the Lord's ways, the kingdom of God comes. God can do so much more with someone whose will is broken than with someone who is the most talented and the most gifted and the most, you know, whatever else, but yet their will is not broken. God wants to partner with those kind of people. And so moving on throughout the Gospels, Jesus was looking for people to follow him. He was looking for students. He was looking for learners. And many express sometimes, you know, that um, they wanted to follow him. Hundreds and hundreds of people would say, you know, we want to follow you. And many times, sometimes we pray in our prayers, of course, Lord, your will be done. But when the rubber hits the road and when things in our life get a little bit heated, we pray, Lord, your will be done. But really, the way that we live is more, my will be done. But when we truly pray that prayer from our heart, Lord, your will be done. We are aligning ourselves with God's desires for our life. Amen. We're aligning our, uh, our, 
a life with God's desires for us. And so we pray it and we mean it because we know that God's will and His wishes are way better than ours. God's got a much better plan for our life than we think we have for ourselves. And this is an amazing thing because when you start to learn to pray the will of God, all of a sudden we start to find out that His desires become our desires. How many have found that before? All of a sudden the things that God's excited about, we start to get exciting about. I remember when I was at university in Nottingham and I was studying and, uh, and I was just uh, feeling the sense of the call of God on my life. And uh, I remember the more I prayed this, that the will of God will be, you know, uh, outworked in my life, the more passionate I got about ministry and about being trained for ministry and then moving forward. David Livingston, one of the, uh, known as being one of the greatest missionaries in the history of mankind, said this. He gave his life to the mission field and to the mission field. And he said this, toward the end of his life, he said, I would rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England outside the will of God. Isn't that powerful? There's someone who knew that you are at your happiest and the most fulfilled when you are smack bang in the will of God. And so again, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded by Jesus that we don't need to enforce our will. We don't have to express our rights or point of view. We don't, all we have to do is identify with the will of God and pray that into operation. Because if we're not praying the will of God into our lives, we're praying our own will. James 4.3 seems to suggest that this is why so many prayers don't get answered. Because we pray with a wrong motive. And so we can ask the right thing sometimes with the wrong motives. I don't know if you've ever done that before and... How many of you ever got caught in that scenario before? You prayed the right things with the wrong motive. And, uh, oh Lord, you know, I'm just praying, Lord, that you would grant me that yacht and that wonderful car and that house for your kingdom purposes. You know, that kind of prayer. And um, anyway, I have. Still waiting on the yacht, but anyway. Um, prayer is not just trying to persuade God to do our thing. It's aligning ourselves with His will. And it's fascinating. I find it fascinating when you do a Bible study or a character study of people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our God changed people from being very kind of like their own needs um, orientated, disobedient to the call of God, and how somehow supernaturally, miraculously, He turned them into being obedient lovers of God. You look at Moses, Joseph, Peter, all these guys who didn't really want to initially follow God's plan in the beginning, but then miraculously they became those who delighted in doing the will of God. I want to say to some of you here today, there may be some of you here today that you feel like that you've made some wrong choices. You feel like you've made some mistakes. You've made some wrong decisions. I want to encourage you today. One of the, the guys that is my kind of one of my heroes in the Bible is David. And there's an incredible scripture in Acts 13:22. Jot it down if you want. But the Bible says that he did all of the will of God. The Bible says that, of course, he was a man after God's own heart. And those are things we get, you know, we love to hear. And, uh, and he served the purpose of God in his generation. But the Bible says, chapter 13, verse 22 in Acts, that he did all of the will of God, which is an incredible statement about the life of David. Because we know that David made mistakes. How many know that? David was not perfect. He made a few blunders. He fell. But yet the Bible says that he did all of the will of God. Isn't that powerful? 
You may be here today and you've made some wrong choices and you've made some mistakes and you made some wrong decisions, but let me tell you and encourage you today, yet the will of God can be performed in your life. Amen? God can still yet use you. You may be here today and you feel disqualified. You feel like not worthy of the call of God of your life. You may feel like you've got nothing to offer the Lord, but let me encourage you. That all you have to do is offer that nothing to God. God loves to take someone who feels like they got nothing. He loves to breathe life into that person and make it worth something. That's what God loves to do. He can take anyone. doesn't matter what you've been through. And He can outwork the will of God through your life. I want to encourage you not to quit. Don't give up. Hold on to God. Even if you're going through a situation right now. There are certain things that you're questioning. You're questioning about the will of God. How can I be in the will of God if I'm going through all hell on earth? Sometimes you can be going through such a tough time, but yet be smack bang in the will of God. And what God is after, is after that kind of that, you know, one person once said that the best ability to have is stickability. In other words, you stick with what you're doing until the breakthrough comes that you need in your life. And so how do we move on from here? What's the first step of following God's will? The first step to knowing the will of God through prayer is the step of surrender. Romans 12.1, popular verse, especially for worshipers. We often use Romans 12.1. And uh, it says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, this is your true and proper worship. Before God will reveal His will to you, you must surrender your life to Him. That's what Romans is all about. Why should I, you know, surrender my life to God? Why should I give to God my life as a living sacrifice? Because of the mercies of God. To put it simply, God saves us because of His mercy through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So Paul's point is this, because Christ has died for us, we ought to live for Him. Because Christ has given His life for us, we ought to give our life for Him. Because Christ has sacrificed His life for us, we ought to give our life as a living sacrifice. Amen. This is why Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now normally a sacrifice is something that is killed. And yet here we find in this scripture that God demands not only the sacrifice, but the sacrificer. In the Old Testament, God wants the sheep. In the New Testament, God wants the shepherd. And so we're to offer our body as a living sacrifice to Him. Normally, if you sacrifice something, it's dead. If it's not dead, you haven't sacrificed it. But we are told to give our life as a living sacrifice. And this means to give ourselves to God in sacrificial living. When you, fa- you, you sacrifice something, you give up all rights. You give up all ownership. You give up all possession of that thing. In the Old Testament, there was no such thing as kind of like a partial sacrifice. You didn't sacrifice a part of the lamb. You, you sacrificed the whole thing. It was a total sacrifice with no strings attached. I like this story of the chicken who came to the pig and said, why don't we start a restaurant? The pig said, well, what will we serve? The chicken said, well, why don't we serve ham and eggs? The pig said, well, that's easy for you to say. You're making a token commitment. You're asking me for a total sacrifice. 
For in a Christian life, that is exactly what the Lord wants from us. He wants a total sacrifice. He wants a complete surrender. Because God sees the potential in every one of you to become something that you've never seen. But before He ever outworks those things in your life, you have to come to a place of surrender. And sometimes that place of surrender hurts. It's painful. But God's best is for us ahead. Let me invite the worship team, if they're around, if they can come up. Paul goes on to call this sacrifice our act of worship. When you give God all that you have and all that you are, that is real worship. God is looking all over the earth for real worshipers. He's looking for true and proper worshipers. See, the first thing we ought to do when we get up in the morning is to surrender our lives in worship to the Lord. Yes, He wants us to enjoy worship in the church, but He wants us to express worship outside of the church. Amen? In your workplace, college, wherever it is, God wants you to be a worshiper in that place. And you know, the neat thing about being a worshiper is that people notice if you're a worshiper or not out there. They can tell the heart of a worshiper. You can worship God by being honest with your business, by working hard for your employers. You can worship God in Bible school by doing your very best, by keeping to the deadlines, (laughs) being respectful to your elders, honoring your leaders, treating other people well, loving other people. Sometimes we have a very kind of like confused idea of what worship is as if it's contained in here. The real worshiper is the one that expresses worship out there in the marketplace, that expresses worship and people see the difference. Worship is something that we do every moment of our lives. I've asked Dave and the team to, to bring us into a time of worship today so that we can bring a response to the Lord today. Coming back to Ephesians, it says, you know, how can I know the will of God? How can I possibly know the will of God for my life by being spirit-filled? Let's all stand together here. How can I be aware, conscious of the will of God by being spirit-filled, being spirit-enabled, being spirit-anointed? How many of you are up for that today? How we want to be freshly filled with the presence and power of God. As we just sing this song now, I want to encourage you to express your heart to the Lord. Ask Him to come afresh and to fill you and to anoint you, to enable you. Amen. Ask Him to come and uh, to fill you again. Where you've kind of got a little bit tired and dry, ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you today. Let's do that together.